Several of you have remarked that I'm not wearing sandals today. <laughs> uh, that's Nancy's fault. Because the socks that I put on didn't quite match. So I had to wear shoes. So you just have to imagine I have my Burks on. Okay? It's still summer in here. Uh, Dan, the woods are right there. So Dan, wave your hand. We just prayed for them. So uh, tell them goodbye after we're done here. It's good to have you here. Thanks for coming. Okay, I'm going to shift, you know, we've been doing a series all summer, A Different Kind of Faith, looking at how Christianity is different than all the other world religions and faiths. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time is, uh, by the way, you know how many days we have till the election? 36. And so I thought it would be very appropriate to take the next 36 days and prepare our hearts for whatever God wants to do with our nation. So we're going to take um, this idea of a different kind of faith and we're going to rephrase it around a different question. The question is, why would we want to? And each week it's going to be a different topic. Why would we want to? And today we're going to ask the question, why would we want to repent? Why? I think this is an important part to begin to prepare us. And so every Sunday from heading up from here to the election is designed to help us as a church to get ready for what God might be doing. You see, I know on November 4th, some of you are going to be very disappointed. I don't know who. I have an idea with some of you. Uh, You're pretty out there with your views. And some of you are not. But I know on November 4th when you wake up, some of you are going to feel depressed or discouraged or sad if we're not careful. Some of you are going to feel frightened. And uh, there's no reason to feel that way. None whatsoever. So we're going to take the next 36 days and we're going to each Sunday, and I'm going to ask you toward the end of the service, would you be willing to pray over the next 36 days? Let's see what God has for us as a nation. I don't know. I can't predict that. Never have been able to. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, not mine. So we're going to start with each Sunday with the question, why would we want to, and today, fill in the blank, why would we want to repent? So before we, before we um, get into the text, I just want to give you an idea about repentance. Repentance is basically turning away from anything that is distracting us from a wholehearted devotion to God. That's what repentance is. And by the way, every single one of us needs it. It should be a regular part of our day is to repent. Um, By the way, some of you said if it gets too cold, you're going to leave in the middle of the sermon. I won't take it personally if you have to leave. I get it. It's a little chilly out here. So anything that draws us away from the Lord, we looked at the gods of the Old Testament. We looked at the gods of the surrounding nations, and they continually drew Israel away. And Israel had to repent regularly from that. And uh, we have gods today. They're just not idols sitting on the shelves. They're in our bank accounts, aren't they? They're in our calendars, aren't they? We still have them. I don't know about you, but I find myself regularly... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting up and I'm devoting my morning to the Lord and all of a sudden I'm over here. And I have to stop and repent of that. Repentance is something that's very, very important. So in the Old Testament, it's interesting that repentance was pretty much restricted to God's people, His chosen people, Israel. It's not until the New Testament that it broadens out to the entire world uh, when Jesus began to call for Repentance. Okay, And so when God decided to act, what I've said to you before, some of you are used to this, whenever God speaks or acts, 
in our world and creation, he does so for the goal of redemption. Something is broken and he wants to move us in a better direction and fix it. So wherever you are in the Bible, back here in the Old Testament, it doesn't matter where you are, when God steps in or through a spoken word, he's fixing something that's broken and you can see the, the movement through time as that becomes better and better. And so that brings in the idea of repentance because the whole nature of repentance is we're believing something that's moving us away from the Lord. And so whenever he steps in for the goal of redemption, he also is stepping in for the goal of repentance among his people, okay? Where we realize that we have thought something we shouldn't think. We have been distracted by something we shouldn't be distracted by. And so we just simply repent and say, God, that, I'm sorry for that. I was wrong. So God does that through, thero- through several things. He gives blessings. He talks about that in the Mosaic Law, and he talks about that in the New Testament. That's designed to pull us toward him. But he also does it through judgments. Okay? You think about judgments in the Bible. That's designed to kick us in the rear and push us and move us toward God. So everything he does has that in mind. I'm going to read a passage to you out of Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah 29. You all know the verse. So I'm going to read you the context. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. He's speaking to the Jews in the southern kingdom who have been exiled to Babylon. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. How many of you have heard this verse? Yeah, almost all of you, right? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. So right off the bat, they're in exile. Why? Because they they were distracted. They moved away from the Lord. And so he's he's going to get their attention and bring them back. But he goes on. You will seek me and find me. Here it is. When you seek me with all of your heart. There's the key word. With all of your heart. I imagine about this time, most of you are quite aware of what's going on in our country and probably a little bit nervous about a lot of things. And I, I will confess in my, all my years here, this is probably the most hostile, disruptive, divided time that I have seen. But you have nothing to be afraid of. You see, all that is designed by Satan to get you to lure away. To lure you away. It's what some of the theologians are beginning to call um, weapons of mass distraction. To lure you away from the truth that God is sovereign and this is his creation and he cares very much for it. And we get distracted, and that right there is a good reason to repent. Because we get lured away from the Lord easily. You know, I've told many of you, don't watch the news unless you can do it for entertainment value. Okay? I look at it every day because I love reading the headlines. Because I can sit there and I try to adopt the attitude of God in Psalm 2. He laughs at the nations. They think they have it figured out, and guess what? They don't. None of our leaders do. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Okay? I go back through lots and lots of presidents. I've been asked this question sitting with some of the young people in bars and coffee shops. So you don't seem very nervous about this. No, I'm not nervous about this election at all. 
Why not? Well, a couple of reasons. One is, I'm a Christian. I have faith in a sovereign God who cares about us. He's going to choose what's going to happen. He says in Jeremiah and another, or Ezekiel and another place, I choose which nation I raise up and which one I destroy. That is my choice. I get to choose that. And so I believe in a sovereign God. He's going to do what he wants to do. As we get into the next few Sundays, we're going to look at some of these passages where he claims that level of sovereignty and responsibility. And our job is not to worry, but to turn back to the Lord. And so when we get distracted by the hostility and by the rhetoric and by the debates, and I, I admit to you, it's, it's far beyond what I've ever seen in my lifetime. That's the time more than ever to set that idol on the shelf. Set it on the shelf and say, God, I'm going to trust you. And I know on November 4th, some of you are going to wake up praising the Lord and some of you are going to wake up afraid. And I'm saying perhaps you're both wrong. How about if you wake up with a renewed commitment to trust him? Okay? So when you move into the New Testament what you find out is that his, he, he wants everyone to repent, which is why the church exists. We've talked about this so many times from so many different angles. This is why we exist, to be a picture to the world of what confidence looks like, okay? What it looks like to be stable. And so when people ask me, you're not worried about this? No, I'm not. I'm not worried about this election. I believe as a Christian in a sovereign God. That's one rule. Number two is that I happen to love being part of a nation that has a three-system form of government. So you got everybody fighting. We were designed to fight from the beginning. If you go back and read the, uh, the founding fathers, that was part of their plan. If one person was in control, we're not going to be happy. So let's set it up so we argue and fight. If you want a good book on religious liberty and the history of it, let me know and I'll give you the name of one. And guess what? For our entire history, we have argued and fought and yelled and screamed at each other. And by the way, for our entire history, the press has always been on the side that makes money. Whatever it happens to be. Whatever's going to make them money. That goes back 250 years. You see, God is sovereign. And the reason the church exists is to demonstrate our undivided devotion and attention to the Lord, no matter what he decides. And to really learn to laugh at what's going on because he laughs at it. We think we've got it figured out, and we don't. And we don't. So, let me just say this. You got the idea, so I'm not going to go any further. You heard Paul read 1 Timothy about pray for those in authority, emperors, kings, those in authority. That's what we should be doing. And so every Sunday we're going to stop and pray. We should pray for our county commissioners. We should pray for our town councils, our mayors, our president, our Congress, our state representatives. We may not like what they do. We may not agree with them, but we should pray for them. That's what we should be doing. I'm going to read to you a prayer out of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, and uh, most of you already know where I'm going to go because you've read it. Nehemiah chapter 1. And Nehemiah, this is at the end of the exile, and the Jews are starting to come back into the land. 
And so Nehemiah, he's in Susa, okay, one of the capitals. By the way, that's where uh, Esther took place. The story of Esther takes place there as well. And so he has heard, um, they, he has people that come back to him and say, here's what's happening in the land. He's still not there yet. Those who survive, this is Nehemiah 1, those who survive the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Okay, now you remember at the end of the, before they were exiled, the southern kingdom in Jerusalem, here's what they believed and here's what they said. Because the temple is God's temple, we have nothing to worry about. God would never let his own temple be taken. And guess what? He did. In Ezekiel, you have the picture of the glory of God lifting from the temple and leaving. They were astonished. They were absolutely astonished that God would do that. And then, so they spent 70 years in exile, and now they're coming back into the land. Okay? So here, here's Nehemiah's prayer. Ezra and Nehemiah led the nation to return to God because they realized that the reason they had been exiled was because of their sin, unrepentant sin, and worship of many gods and refusing to change. And so here's what he says. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And here's what I said. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. I'm going to read you the whole prayer because it's worth hearing. The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. Okay, right off the bat, there's one of the, there's the foundation for our repentance. God has made a covenant. He is a good God. He loves us. He cares for us. He keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive, O God, and your eyes open to hear the prayer. Your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. See, we could just modify this. We're going to pray day and night for the people of our country, those who don't know you those who are frightened. But he goes on. I confess the sins, we Israelites, including myself, including myself and my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. And you're thinking, well, I haven't done that. Oh, yes, you have. Here's the next line. We have not obeyed your commands. Anybody in here disobeyed the Lord in the last couple of days? Been mad at somebody? Jesus said that's murder. Lusted after somebody? He calls that adultery. We're in the same spot. The moment we think that we are without sin, we find ourselves in a very bad place. Very bad place. That's where the Israelites found themselves. So he confesses. I confess the sins that we Israelites, we as a nation, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. You see the definition in the Bible of wickedness? Oh yeah, murder is wicked. But don't, don't think that that exempts you. Wickedness is any time that you turn away from the Lord. That's the core definition of evil. Anytime that you do what he doesn't want you to do, of which we are all guilty, including myself. That's why repentance is part of my daily routine. And I would encourage you to make it part of yours. 
Lord, at the end of the day, thank you. Thank you for forgiving me today. Thank you for the ways that I sin. In the morning when I get up, um, and I told you my first wife, before she died, talked to me out of lamentations. The Lord's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. In the morning when I wake up, I say, Lord, thanks for another day of life. Help me to be faithful. Thank you for new mercies. Thank you for wiping out the slate from yesterday. I get to start over today. And at the end of the day, I thank the Lord for his forgiveness. That's developing a repentant heart. He goes on. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will give them, gather them from there and I will bring them back to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. And remember what Jeremiah said, return with your whole heart. They are, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and by your mighty hand, Lord. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And he's talking about the king there. You see, forgiveness, repentance is something that we should do every day every day. A lack of repentance leads you in one of only a few directions. Stagnancy. Stagnant. You have a heart that's kind of cold and stuck. That's one of the places it leads you. It leads you to self-reliance. You begin to think, I'm doing okay. You know? My assets are growing. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming wealthier. Well, the Lord says, who makes a person rich? Who makes a person poor? Is it not I, the Lord? So you're there because you've been blessed. Don't forget that. It's not because of your good work. He may have used that, but it's because of who he is. Or it leads you to distance from the Lord, far away, which is what he, Nehemiah just prayed. Your people are far away. And even if they're on the furthest horizon, bring them back. Bring them back. So can you hear Nehemiah's prayer in that prayer, a prayer of repentance? And so I'd like to challenge us as a church that we would do that. We would develop a repentant heart. The heart, the election is in 36 days. I can tell you you've got nothing to worry about. Nothing. God chooses he gets to choose. Now, don't use it as an excuse not to vote. Go vote your conscience. That's a freedom that we have that many people I travel, I travel around the world, as you know, many people don't have that option. But we do. We should praise the Lord and vote. So I want you to vote. But I also want you to realize that it is not your choice. And we don't want your person in the presidency. We want God's person in the presidency. The other thing I say to people that have asked me, you're not worried? Nope. I, I love, I'm a Christian and I believe in a sovereign God. I believe in a three-system uh, person, you know, a three-system form of government, which I just love. I love all the debate and the chatter and the, you know, this tension. It's, to me, it's kind of enjoyable. Uh, I can see why God sits up there and laughs. But the third reason is, uh, I do go back to John F. Kennedy. And every president since then has something I like and something I hate. And guess what? They haven't destroyed us. And this, this, this time around, the rhetoric on both sides is all filled with fear. All fill, it's designed to panic you. 
you know, my son helped me to understand how social media works. And so I, I started looking at all the Trump stuff. And pretty soon my social media is flooded with all the Trump stuff and all the fear of what's going to happen if the Democrats win. So then I start looking at the uh, uh, Democratic side. And all of a sudden my inbox is filled with all this Democratic stuff and all the fear of what's going to happen if the Republicans win. You don't have to be afraid. You see, perfect love casts out fear. That's First John. We can really trust the Lord. We really can. I don't know what next week, I mean, the next year looks like. I really don't know. And honestly, I don't want to know. There's a phrase, ignorance is bliss. And it really is nice not knowing what the Lord is going to do. And instead, placing our faith in Him, not in what we anticipate. So here's my question for you. And I'd like an answer. You can raise your hands. How many of you are willing to take the next 36 days and follow Nehemiah in this prayer of repentance for our nation? Every day, every day when you get up, say, Lord, I'm so sorry that we have sinned as a nation. Me too. I'm guilty. Heal our land. Most importantly, Bring our people back to you, not to Republican or Democrat. Bring them to you. That's far more important. Can you do that? It's only 36 days. And maybe by the end of the election, you'll be, it'll be a habit. And you'll do it every day because you know what you'll find? Refusing to repent, that's uh, in the lust of the flesh, is called impurity. And the concept of impurity is your soul begins to fill up with things that just distract you, discourage you. And a cleansing and a repentance every day washes all that out. And when you get used to that, when you get used to saying to the Lord, I am sorry because I failed you, I sinned. When you get used to that on a daily basis, you know what? The soul just feels so clean. It really does. Every day. And so I would encourage you every morning when you get up to say, Lord, thank you for another day of life. Help me to honor you today with that life. And thank you that your mercies are new and you don't remember what happened yesterday. And at the end of the day, Lord, thanks for the forgiveness because I was wrong today. I shouldn't have lusted. I shouldn't have coveted. I shouldn't have hated someone. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank. And you know what? When you get used to doing that every day, every day feels refreshing and life-giving. So can we do this as a church? You see, I care about Summit County. I care about the world, too, and my nation. Don't get me wrong. But I care about Summit County. And we were meant to, be, to reveal to them what a repentant, clean heart looks like and a heart that is steady and stable and focused and mature, not a heart that's distracted and panicked and hostile. Don't listen to the media. Just don't listen to it unless you can laugh at it like Psalm 2. Because they have no idea what's going on and they're out to make money. I get it. Not criticizing them. Let them make their money. That doesn't bother me in the slightest because my confidence is in the Lord. And I want yours to be as well. So for the next few Sundays and the next 36 days, we're going to work on preparing our hearts for whatever God chooses, whatever he has in store for us, and you have nothing to be afraid Father, thank you.
Thank you for being a true living God that we can actually trust. One in whom we can trust. We can come to you and we can daily look at you and thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Boy, oh boy. I look back over all the years of serving you. Uh, I have no idea how many times you've had to forgive me, but I'm so grateful that you have. Help us to be a church who is rock solid in our faith because we trust you. We have confidence in you. And by the way, thanks for bringing the sun out right then because it feels really good. (laughs) So Lord, we are grateful that you are our God and we are your people and we really want you to use us with our friends and neighbors. We desire so much that they would see you by looking in our lives. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, put your mask back on. It's time. We're getting a little smaller as the uh, gets a little colder. Now you know you can make it. So we only have two communion tables, not four, and they're both up here. Okay, they're both right here. And so put your masks on. Everybody stand up. This is how, for the visitors, this is how we close our time. We have touchless communion, but when you come forward, somebody's going to say to you, this is the body of Christ given for you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you to remind you of the incredible the incredible work of Jesus Christ on our behalf and to remind you of why we don't have to be anxious and worried. We don't have to. Jesus has already solved all the problems and we can relax in his care. Okay? So when I release you in just a minute, you get to go take communion. That's the last thing we do. And you can sit around and talk. You can listen to the music. They're going to play some more. You can get in your car and leave. Um... I pray that you enjoy the peace of Christ. That's why he came, to bring peace, shalom, to bring it into our lives so that we can enjoy him and each other. For you visitors out here, be safe, enjoy your time, stay warm, spend lots of money in our county. No, you don't have to do that. Just have a great time here in the county. We're so glad you came today, although I don't understand why you take vacation on a cold day like today. Nope. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Uh, You are very good to us. Thank you for bringing peace into our own hearts and giving us a reason not to be afraid, uh, but to trust you. Amen.